Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would um, help us uh, to better understand uh, how we might commend the faith uh, that is within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're still on Acts chapter 13 and last week we got started talking about uh, evangelism uh, and we're going to actually get a little bit practical this week. Can you hear me in the back? Because this is about as much as I can project today. Stop shaking. Who is that back there? I need a new, oh, it's Graham. I need a new prescription. Okay. Um, this, uh, this Sunday, I'm hoping we can get a little bit more practical uh, about evangelism and how it is that we are able to share uh, our faith. So if we're looking at Acts chapter 13, uh, I'm going to pick it up at verse 26. And up to this point, Paul has walked his hearers through a history of Israel a religious history of Israel, walking through the prophets all the way up to John the Baptist. And he says, then he says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been, been sent a message of salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and in their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by, con- condemning, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And then he... He goes on and gives uh, some more proofs. Um, Well, uh, when you see the gospel being shared in the early church, um, you know, there wasn't like this evangelism program. There wasn't this committee that got together and said, you know, how to share Jesus without fear, uh, things kind of go on. Uh, Paul just simply got up, and what did he do? What is he doing here? It's a little boring. Right? Why? Because all he is doing is conveying facts. It's like what news reporters are supposed to do. Right? Convey, just convey. It's a little Walter Cronkite-esque. Uh, he's just conveying facts that are, are verifiable. He's not getting up and saying, here's why I think you ought to turn to Jesus. But here is who Jesus is. Now what are you going to do with him? Now... Uh, I know that uh, most of us, if I polled you, would say, if I asked you, is evangelism really important? Uh, Everybody in this room would say, yes, it's really important. Uh, But the answer behind our answer would also be probably something like, it's important that somebody else do this uh, so that I don't have to. And and certainly the Bible talks about some being gifted. Ephesians 4 talks about this, that some people are gifted in evangelism in a way that others are not. However, all of us are called to be evangelists because we know from the tail end of Matthew's gospel when Jesus says what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, and teach them uh, what I have been teaching you, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. Uh, You will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria uh, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Uh, So there's this mandate uh, to all Christians to go out and share 
the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, at face value, we all say that it's important. Last week, I read that quote from Penn Gillette, and I'm going to read it again because I think it's important. Penn Gillette, as you may know, is, um, <clears throat> is uh, half of the Penn and Teller um, uh, magician act, and uh, Penn has actually gone out of his way uh, to produce videos uh, trumpeting atheism. Why atheism is just the, the way to go. You can watch them on Netflix uh, streaming. Um, and I wonder how you feel if, if, you, if you're in a movie and all of a sudden you see it on Netflix streaming. You know, it's like, hmm. Okay, so free to you. All right, well, uh, Penn Gillette is talking about uh, a polite and impressive man uh, who is trying to evangelize Penn Gillette, and everyone thought that Penn would be so offended by this. And this is what he said. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize, that is, share their faith, share their perspective, share their worldview, their philosophy. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share your faith? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell someone that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, at a certain point, I would tackle you. And this, sharing your faith, is more important than the truck bearing down on you. Right? So this is from a guy who doesn't believe, right? who doesn't believe and has a really hard time because he's out there definitely being a, an apologist uh, for atheism, uh, for unbelief. And yet he's saying he doesn't understand that if it really is that important, if it really is that significant, if it has the gospel message of Jesus has the power to change your life, why wouldn't you share that? Why wouldn't you share that? Now, I, I want to go ahead and um, dispel the myth that, uh, that there are people in this world who can share the gospel without any sense of fear or trepidation or anxiety. No such person on the face of the earth existed except for Jesus, right? Even I, and, and that, uh, that reluctance that we have to share our faith, you know, 1 Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you, Right? Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Well, that seems a little bit more easier said than done because what happens is if you do say, you know what, or a conversation is heading in a direction where it might be perfectly appropriate for you to share your faith, when that moment comes, don't you feel your stomach flip? Don't you feel the anxiety creeping up in your heart that, that you know, do I say it? Do I not say it? How do I say it? What should I say? And uh, that is uh, perfectly natural because when you do share the gospel, it normally has one of two reactions. Either they hear it and they believe and they rejoice, or they reject it and hate your guts uh, and resent you. 
Uh, they may be indifferent as well, but that's sort of the same uh, as rejection, and they may tolerate you uh, for being a Christian. Uh, but um, uh, beyond that, uh, there are really, it's, it's, as, as Paul talks about, the aroma of Christ uh, for those, uh, what he's doing is he's creating this word picture that when Rome would win a great battle, they would have these victory parades and they would burn incense and they would parade the soldiers and the slaves that they had brought back from Carthage or uh, Ireland or wherever they were. And, um, and as they were going along, they would burn this incense. And to the Romans, that incense was the smell of victory. But to the slaves... It was the stench of death, right? Same smell, but had two very different reactions. And St. Paul says it's the same with Jesus. Now, most of us will be very polite and, um, and we'll be able to, um, you know, try to nuance uh, how we share the gospel. And we don't want to be jerks. But I think that Jesus even understands our reticence in sharing our faith. When Jesus sends out his disciples, he says what? I send you out as sheep amongst the wolves. Right? Not sheep amongst sheep. But you know what? There's a good chance you might get torn up. Right? You might actually, you know, you want to present the gospel in an attractive way um, that is a sort of bait uh, for people to make them actually want to maybe bite on the hook, um, uh, but they might bite you. Uh, they might actually end up devouring you. And so what I want to convey uh, to you is, uh, one, um, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid, but I want to talk now a little bit about the practicality of, of sharing our faith. Well, when you are sharing your faith, God calls us to be faithful and not uh, successful. I think that there's this sense uh, in our American culture that it's our job to convert people. It's our job uh, to um, make people our project. Uh, there's somebody here who's not in this room, uh, and we've since talked about it, so I can, say this, I can tell the story. But when I first arrived here, they came up to me and they said, uh, they said, oh, I have a, a child the same age as you. And I said, oh, well, that's neat. And she goes, yes, you're going to be my project. And, uh, and I thought, I don't want to be anybody's stinking project, right? Do you want to be anybody's project? You know, you don't. That, that's not what you want to be. And also when sometimes you feel like you want to share your faith with someone, it's hard for them not to, you know, to feel that there's an element of judgment there uh, that really what you're saying is not so much, I want to introduce you to Jesus, but I want to fix your life. Right? I, I, really what I'm looking to do is to try to get your life together because, boy, do you need Jesus, rather than simply telling the story of what Jesus has done uh, for them and for us. But in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable <clears throat> because the disciples were afraid about going out and being witnesses uh, for him. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. 
since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, uh, afterwards, um, uh, the disciples uh, asked, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> and so Jesus said, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who reaps the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. So what Jesus is saying is that statistically, only about one quarter of the people that have the gospel shared with them are going to become Christians, are going to respond uh, in the affirmative. They're going to respond uh, positively. <coughs> and so we are going to encounter people who, uh, who's, uh, who have uh, hearts that are like, like rocky soil, uh, that are like the path, uh, that uh, are going to be choked with thorns. Um, we're going to encounter those people, bless you. Um, but... And we can expect that there's going to be persecution. I think one of the reasons why uh, we're afraid is because uh, some of the baggage, one, that Christianity has in our culture, and that is, and we talk about this pretty often around here, is that if you ask somebody, what does it mean to be Christian? Um, They normally start talking about behavior of some kind, to act in a Christian manner. Uh, Marcus Mumford uh, who's part of the group Mumford. He's the singer for Mumford and Sons. Aren't they coming to Birmingham? Is that happening? Yeah. So um, seeing who's hip. Uh, so uh, Mumford and Sons, uh, he's the lead singer. Well, Marcus's brother James, I went to school with in, in Oxford, and I remember his little brother used to come up and play these CDs that he and his band uh, were putting together. And I idiotically said to him once, all your songs sound exactly the same, Marcus. And uh, he's never talked to me since. So, but... Uh, James and Marcus's dad is a very prominent Christian minister in England. And uh, James is, uh, is very much uh, a committed believer in the Lord Jesus. Uh, but Marcus was interviewed, and I had a conversation with uh, him once about this. He was interviewed and asked, you know, would you call yourself a Christian? And he said, no, I wouldn't. And he said, but that doesn't mean that I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I just feel that the word Christian has too much freight that goes along with it. Now, uh, he's speaking from an English context, but I think for many in the United States, especially that demographic that calls themselves nuns, right? People who say, I don't affiliate with any particular Christian denomination or any religious faith. You know, 10 years ago, those same people said, I'm a Methodist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Baptist. And now they live within a culture where they can actually be honest, which is actually somewhat refreshing, honest about what they believe and what they don't believe. So they just simply say, 
nothing. And they may see Jesus and think, well, you know, I, uh, I, I kind of, you know, I really do like Jesus, but I have a really hard time with Christians. Now, we've, if, if you've never had a hard time with a Christian, I'll introduce you to some, right? I'll, I've got plenty that I can introduce you to. But, but I think what, what it's done is that, you know, because we've created this idea in our culture that Christianity is primarily about behavior, that's how it's judged. So it's no wonder that the world will look at Christians and say, y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. When what the Bible has to say about Christians is, you're right, we are hypocrites. That's why we're Christians, right? That's why, because we struggle, we have real problems, and because we understand we're not who we're supposed to be, and I'm not the way that I want to be, that I need somebody from outside of me to come and rescue me and my hypocritical heart, right? But Christians are, are very afraid uh, to, uh, to say those things. You know, uh, people always attribute this quote to St. Francis, um, but I, 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 it, there's actually no record that he ever said it, and I'm sure that uh, on that great and terrible day of judgment, he's going to probably wring somebody's neck. Uh, but it is, they say that St. Francis said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Well, if that's the case, we're doomed, right? Because the thing about it is, is that if our lives are the paramount uh, form of evangelism to the world, we're, we're doomed, right? Because uh, now what our lives ought to reflect is God's grace and His mercy in our lives. It ought to reflect a great deal of self-awareness uh, when dealing with individuals. But the primary means by which the gospel makes its way into the ears and hearts of those who come to believe is by what? Speaking the word, right? Actually telling the story. St. Paul says, look, if, if there are no preachers, then how can anybody know? If you don't speak the gospel, you know, how can anybody know? Now, in our world, there's a lot, uh, you know, people will call, it's called natural theology, but it's sort of that, that you know, sort of evidence and creation. And I'll be the first to admit, I've seen beautiful sunsets. I've seen some amazing things, and I've felt very much the presence of God. Uh, I've never heard of anybody taking a hike and getting out the other side of the trail and saying, now I'm a Christian, right? It doesn't, unless, now I have, that's actually happened to somebody that I know once, but that was because they were dealing with what they had been told, right, about Jesus. And that's the story of people like C.S. Lewis, who was actually surrounded by some really wonderful godly men like Tolkien, right? So their lives were a wonderful model of of faith informing the way that they lived their lives. And yet what ultimately led to his conversion is he just simply could not shake the issue that if Jesus is who he said he was and who he is, then I've got to come to grips with that fact, right? I have to deal with that. And so what I hope is that if you're at a place where you're going to share the gospel with somebody, and I don't mean, you know, I don't mean going out on the corner and and saying, turn to burn, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Because what we see in Acts, as well as throughout the entirety of the New Testament, is that the gospel is always shared in the context of relationship. Now, whether that is um, Paul is preaching or one of the other apostles is preaching, Uh, But then there are people around them who come alongside them and begin to disciple them and walk with them on this road that they're now on. Uh, There's not this 
one and done, walk away, and you never see these people again. There's not a sense in which people are, are treated as spiritual statistics, which many in the church kind of do. Like our job is to get you saved, and once you're saved, you got your fire insurance, we're done, right? We're, we're set. Rather than when Jesus in John chapter 10 says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest, when does eternal life begin? The moment you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, not when you die, right? That Jesus actually wants to uh, affect your life here on earth and to give you a new perspective and a new way of seeing uh, the world. Even so, even though it's the most glorious, wonderful news, uh, because of uh, freight and baggage, that's one thing, uh, but also uh, Christians believe things that the world does not like. You know, we, we, we just don't. Uh, they just don't like uh, some of the things that they feel uh, that the church stands for. Now, some of those we can't really be apologetic about because it just kind of is the way uh, that it is. And I'm not being flippant about that. But to give you an example, in John's gospel, when, uh, he, when Thomas asks, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's home or many mansions, and you know the way. And Thomas says, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, right? Now, we hear that in our culture, and it's like, needle off the record, right? It's an instant conversation killer. And yet what, uh, and I understand that, but there there was an interesting conversation I had with somebody who who was a devout Hindu, and, um, and they were really giving me a hard time about Jesus saying that, but not because he felt it was exclusive. Because what he was saying was, let me get this straight. I've got to work my tail off in this life in order for my next incarnation to be better than this one, or else I will become incarnate in another lesser form. Like, that's, that's a lot of work. And all you have to do is put your trust in Jesus and... That's it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. He's like, that is totally unfair. That's totally unfair. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it is in in some sense. And if you get to the other side of it, if you become a Christian, uh, what you realize is that you just praise God that there is a way. I mean, it's sort of like being, you know, you fall off the ocean liner and, uh, and you're, you're flailing in the ocean, but praise God, somebody sees you drowning and throws you one of those little orange round thingies. Uh, I mean, you're going to yell at me like, I want options. No, what are you going to do? You're going to take hold of that which is going to save you, that's going to bring you uh, to a place uh, of safety. You're not going to sit there and start to contemplate the exclusivity of your life preserver, right? You're just not going to do that. And in the same way, what Jesus is actually saying is this gratuitous, unbelievably merciful thing that, look, the door is thrown open wide, right? Because in Jesus' day, uh, and even now to some extent, only certain types of people got a relationship with God, right? Really holy people or people of a certain ethnic group, uh, which is actually one of the problems that happens here um, in uh, Pisidian Antioch, uh, the Jews in the local synagogue are very upset that the Gentiles are, are becoming Christians. Um, a certain demographic, a certain, a certain people group. In fact, um, uh, Christians early on in the church uh, were called, especially by the Roman authorities, 
uh, as they're called atheists. Did you know that? That they were called atheists? They were called atheists because you'd be talking to a Roman and they'd say, hey, um, uh, well, uh, who do you worship? Why well, worship uh, Jesus Christ? Oh, where is his temple? Well, I, I am his temple. And what do you mean? Well, well, where do you go to worship then? Well, wherever, because God is, is here. Uh, well, if this what? I mean, you, you have this access to this person. What about, what about uh, priests? I mean, who's doing the sacrificing? Well, there's been a once and for all sacrifice on our behalf, who is Jesus Jesus Christ. And they're like, what? let me get this right. No temple, no sacrifice, no priest. Y'all are a bunch of atheists. Right? That's, that's how they viewed uh, Christianity. They, they actually saw it as so wildly inclusive uh, that it caused tremendous problems uh, in the Roman world. Uh, there is uh, plenty of, of evidence that talks about, uh, now let's talk about the life of Christians. The lives of Christians that really did start to make a difference because their lives had been changed by the gospel and they were self-aware enough and they knew what they had been saved from, they in turn reached out and really put themselves out there in a bold way uh, that received uh, ridicule even in the midst of doing something that I even think objectively would be beautiful. So uh, one of the practices of the early um, world, uh, uh, the early uh, right after the, around the time of Jesus and in the life of the early church, was in the Roman Empire. Uh, and you can read letters. Uh, uh, one of them was by a, um, a Roman businessman who had gone to Alexandria in Egypt, and he was writing his wife who was pregnant. And he was talking about how, how much he loved his wife. And then he said, I know that you're anxious because you're about to have a baby, but I just want you to know that if it's a, if it's a boy, let us be grateful. If it's a girl, get rid of her. And then he began to talk again about it. Well, this was actually a common practice that if the child was, if you were a girl uh, or if you were born with special needs or some kind of deformity, you would be put out. You would be left exposed in the out of doors. And their thought was, well, maybe somebody will come along and it was a high, they believed in fate. You know, maybe somebody will come along, but if the child dies, that was just their, their lot uh, in life. And so what began to happen is Christians began to take these children into their own homes. They began to scoop up these abandoned babies and, and raise them. And uh, this ticked off a lot of people because uh, you could see, I, we don't do that anymore, do we? I mean, well, not, not in the United States. We do in, in other places. Um, although, uh, for instance, China has changed its one-child policy. Do you know that? They've, they've changed that. So, but nonetheless, um, they were doing these things, and for some people, it, it made them look bad. So they didn't like that at all. And so living out uh, one's faith, being self-aware, uh, means that we have to be prepared to be disliked by certain people. Now, there is a place for charm and being winsome, uh, but you are not uh, why anyone becomes a Christian. Uh, and at the same time, we're not to put any undue impediments in their path. <clears throat> there is an amazing, uh, this is like, let's see how nerdy you are along with me. Who's ever read Boswell's Life of Johnson? Samuel Johnson? Let's have coffee. There you go. Yeah. <clears throat> There's this amazing exchange 
that, um, that Boswell and a lady named Mrs. Knowles, I can't believe I remember this stuff, Mrs. Knowles uh, have, and Johnson, who was a Christian, but he was a tortured soul, they were talking about death. And uh, Johnson said uh, that death was to be feared uh, because of guilt. And he said, I'm afraid of dying because the only way for me to appropriate what Jesus has done for me the only way to ensure the benefits of what Jesus has done for me is through obedience and failing that, repentance. And Boswell said, well, but you know, don't you think you need to kind of put your trust in Jesus? And he said, how can I? Because, I mean, this is talking about self-awareness. Johnson said, how can I ever know that I've been obedient enough and how can I know that I've ever repented enough? And he said, so death is something to be feared. Now, I wish that Mrs. Knowles or Boswell had said in that moment that in order to appropriate the blessings and benefit of what Jesus Christ has done for you, he would say, Johnson, that it is through obedience and failing that through repentance. But what the Bible says is that if you want to appropriate and enjoy the benefits of what Jesus has done for you, it is done through What's the word? Praise God. I was nervous for a minute. Uh, that's right. Grace through faith, right? Grace through faith. Uh, a simple saying uh, a yes uh, to that. And so there are times when we can, in talking with people, when they have a lot of baggage in their lives, to try to cut that out. I mean, I've told the story. I've talked to plenty of people uh, in my life. And it's so funny how often this comes up when uh, they're talking about faith and and they're a little bit anxious. And I said, well, why are you anxious about being a Christian? And they said, well, because I'm a Democrat. And, um, and I just think that that is the funniest thing. On the, and I was like, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Right? What does that have to do with them? Well, oh, it's because they think that Christianity is primarily about what? Doing, right? It's about you know, all these things rather than about a personal relationship with the God uh, of the universe. And so we need to trust the Holy Spirit to work out people's lives. Right? God doesn't say, look, get your act together and then become a Christian. Right? Become a Christian and then God will begin to work on you. None of us comes to the Lord Jesus with everything in order. Right? In fact, what we find out as Christians is that we are wrong about a whole bunch of stuff. Right? We have a totally new perspective and a different way of speaking about things. Now, um, I'm not anywhere near being done. Uh, but at the same time, uh, what I would say is that as you uh, gather around your Thanksgiving table, uh, it's amazing uh, how spiritual a conversation can turn when you've had a couple drinks. And, um, uh, and if your family knows that you're a Christian, uh, it inevitably comes up. Uh, and this is hard because when my family brings it up, I get real anxious and I get edgy which is what I don't need to be, because immediately I begin throwing impediments in their path. Uh, and so uh, that we might actually be willing to take that conversation where it needs to go and even risk being disliked uh, for the sake of their own lives, uh, much less uh, for, for God's sake. And so in those, sometimes you are going to have to kind of push it uh, over the edge uh, a little bit uh, there was a lady in our uh, last parish who suffered from chronic back problems. And um, 
she was trying everything in her power. She was going to see everybody up at Duke she could see about getting back problems, and she was coming for prayer and things like that. And uh, she was not a Christian, but she came to church because it was the thing to do. And, um, and finally, uh, we were having a conversation, and I decided just to push on the bruise. And I said, what if your back never gets better? Right? And that was her greatest fear, but that actually opened up the ability to have a real conversation about things that really mattered, their identity, who are they, what is, you know, what is this life all about. And so, uh, if you're going to share the gospel, it's got to be done in personal relationships. Uh, it's not a one and done. You actually have to care about the person. If you don't, it's obvious, and it's better that you stay away from them because uh, you're going to ruin it for everybody else. Uh, you need to know the story. You need to know the gospel message, even if it's this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in Him, simple as that, believe in Him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Full stop. Full stop. That's it. To be able to know the story, to be able to articulate uh, the gospel, to be willing to pray for this person, and also to be willing to walk alongside them, uh, regardless of, of whether they come to faith uh, or, or not. Uh, I'm not in the business of keeping track of numbers. Uh, I always think it's, um, you know, when um, uh, somebody, uh, one of my family members, when they call me, always asks me, how many souls have you saved today? And I've said, zero. Andrew Pearson hadn't saved a single person ever. Uh, now, Jesus Christ, that's a whole different story. And so uh, I hope that uh, during Thanksgiving you find some opportunities uh, to tell your story, just to talk about things that actually really matter uh, in life, uh, and uh, you'll be blessed by it, and uh, you might see someone in your life uh, be changed forever. Questions, comments, concerns? I'll give you a couple minutes. Hello. Hello. Um, that story that you used in the beginning um, with the word that the people who the word fell like the rocky soil uh -huh. and the thorns, are those people Christians? Yeah, no. Um, but at the same time, what I would say about that is that I don't want you to read. Thank you, Lauren. Um, You're uh, <clears throat> what I would say is that um, don't take this as a hard and fast statistic. So like if I pulled four of you aside, I'd say only one of you is really a Christian. That's not, that's not true. Uh, but what Jesus is saying is that all of our hearts are rocky and shallow. And so we need to pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God plows up our hearts and gives us the ability to receive the word. I mean, here's the thing. Right now, if you're worried that your heart might be rocky soil, that's proof that it's fertile. Right? If, you're think, if you're wondering right now that you might, uh, might not have been one of those that received the word, it's proof that you have received it. If you're totally indifferent right now and wondering when you're going to get to brunch, we can talk. <laughs> and then how, how Please, do you, follow up. Yes. And, but then, <laughs> then how do people with, with kind of Christians who are tormented, you know, how's their space for evangelism. You know, is everyone called yes. to evangelism? Yes. And how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, I think that really you do it in, I mean, I, I know that, you know, some people... Imperfectly. Be, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that there are people who think, well, I'm not a Billy Graham or I'm not a preacher. But if I started asking all of you how you became Christians, 
most of you, if not nearly all of you, didn't become Christians necessarily through somebody's preaching ministry or somebody who you would say is gifted in that, but it's because somebody who was close to you shared the gospel. A mother, a grandmother, a parent, I mean, some, you know, a close friend. Uh, that, that, those are the evangelists, right? I mean, just, I mean, look at the difference physically between you and me. Like, you walk into a cocktail party and you look lovely, and everyone says, oh, look, there's Lauren Pearson. And I walk in, little, and it's like, Wheep! you know, uh, everyone, everyone, I mean, because people, like, and it's so silly. I mean, people get, like, the heart, because everybody that talks to me acts like they're a Christian, and they don't understand, like, it's actually okay if you're not a Christian. Just, like, I'm not going to curse you, and you're not, like, going to burst into flames or anything. Actually, I've had this smashed finger for weeks, and my girls think it was cursed by a voodoo woman when I was in Haiti. Um, and so... They won't touch that finger. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's fine uh, to do, but, you know, you get around uh, people who are the so-called evangelists, and all of a sudden everyone acts like, I'm a Christian, praise the Lord. You know, they get real Christian around me. And so there's actually more opportunity to, for someone like you uh, than there is, uh, there is for me. Uh, I mean, some of y'all, if you come in the office during the week, I'm very rarely wearing my collar um, because in our culture... It, it's changed. You know, it used to be an invitation for people to say, oh, there's a minister. I want to go talk to them. It's actually much more of an impediment now. I mean, just ask about my encounters with TSA agents. I used to wear it thinking, you know, maybe I'll get a little edge. Uh, I got an edge all right. All right, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.